I think the last tournament, the World Series back in 2001, we played in Cardiff. That was what was the Wales Sevens. And I had interest coming in from Newport, Newport Dragons. So I, I was still a teacher trainee at our teacher's college. I was keen to jump across, you know, like any young fella here. Uh, you want to go across overseas and experience it and see what it's like, you know, to, to be in a pro rugby environment. That's where I saw myself. I, I, I trained the house down and I tried my best to be a pro player. But I never envisaged this, not in my wildest dreams. But I think the, my course took a big turn when I went to teacher's college, which is where my, my, my old man, my father was principal there at the time. So he was a big influencer and my parents were uh, to change my direction going there. But what it did was it gave me a skill set in the teaching arena uh, that allowed me to come through this pathway. And I count myself really, you know, fortunate to have uh, to have come through that because I have my mates who, you know, rich pro, pro rugby, you know, made a big, big name for themselves. They're back on island. But I guess, you know, I think, what do you lean back on after your rugby career? So for me, I think that academic pathway I took even though I, I, I didn't make it in the pro rugby, uh, I, I think that's what has brought me this far. So what happened with Newport? Did it just not work out or? Yeah, it didn't, didn't work out, I guess, because at the end of that year, uh, we went to play in, uh, when was it, where was that? Durban, uh, South Africa. And then I got injured. So I, I sort of came off the international scene altogether with a number of multiple injuries. That, that sort of really derailed the path. And of course, back then in those early years of the World Series, that was in itself a revolution, you know, having the World Series and initially it was New Zealand, Fiji, New Zealand, Fiji, basically every final. And I assume you would have shared a few fields with uh, Wasali Sarevi. Yeah, so I played with Weiss. Uh, I I, I saw him growing up. I mean, he was a a big influencer and for me, inspired my rugby journey. And then after that, I came, I, I coached with him as well in the national team. So I got his book here, right? And I said to him, hey, you know, I read your book. And all those those young days you stay seeing these early chapters of you running the roads. I was watching you the whole time, and uh, and I followed your foot uh, footpaths. I, I tried to do those road runs. We came from the same club, same neighborhood, so I kind of like you know was inspired along that way. But um, yeah, along the coaching pathway, didn't make it as a player. But he he was a big one who because we are close as family, and and that's what is you know pushed me on. And were you always a good trainer as a player? Obviously, you've moved into that strength and conditioning, athletic performance field. Uh, were you always one of those model students or members of the team that always did their work in the off-season, worked hard at training? Did you did you win most of the races? Pretty much. Because uh, my old man was, he, he was national coach for three sports here, right? Volleyball, uh, track and field, and Fiji Sevens. So he coached Serevi and I when we played for the Fiji Sevens. So he is big on uh, physical education and, and, and uh, fitness training. So I, I kind of like had access to all the programs he had. And because we had our own gym and field and all, you know, all those kind of things, that's, that's what I was into the whole time, apart from farming at home. And, um, you know, by the time you moved into the strength and conditioning and obviously working with Ben Ryan, as you say, with Fiji Sevens, um, you know, he talked during his time about how he had to completely rethink, you know, like he's come from this high performance environment in England, more money than you could think of all these elite guys earning, you know, good money with all the facilities in the world, but it's a little bit different in Fiji uh, and not just in terms of facilities, but in terms of how you motivate these players, you know, what you actually do to get them fit and, and what they respond to. Yeah, 100%. I mean, he had to de-escalate, you know, a lot of, a lot of the things that he, he, he was used to up in England. 
obviously he had to address his perspectives and also expectations. Uh, but then, you know, the one big thing probably we have in Fiji is, is loads and loads of talent. So, and the way we condition our players is, is just what we have in Fiji in terms of resources. Mind you, we're building on those resources as we as we speak. You know, we've, we we kind of like have started to really kit out our gyms, our training spaces, and also the knowledge and the science behind it. So that's that's really developed now uh, since when Ben was here. Um, so so that's something we keep trying to push along. And uh, we once we want to keep the old Fiji, you know, the the, the the old school stuff that that makes us you know tough and different. Uh, we we want to progress with the time as well. You know, we don't want to remain the same. The game changer was when Ben came on, and he is probably one of the very first uh, head coaches who came in and worked with me hand in glove. And we just pushed the standards through. And it's it's more powerful when it's coming from the head coach rather than the head conditioner on fitness standards. So he backed me on that, and, and we made fitness as a non-negotiable within the team for selection. Um, and that has carried through with Gareth, who's come on board. And we've made that a rule of thumb. And, and associated with physical fitness and conditioning was obviously the nutrition, the recovery element of it, and discipline. And I've always said, when we entertain excessive cover drinking and alcohol and all those kind of things, that's something that not only derails performance, you know, but also the, the, the human personal side. We've seen a lot of uh, players who have, you know, really broken their, 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 their future opportunities because of these things. I know it's not only a problem, you know, in Fiji alone, it's, it's all over the world, you know, alcohol and things like that. It's not bad in itself, but obviously with our context, it's taken out of proportion. And, and sometimes, you know, el, uh, athletes or players who come to the elite level, they kind of sort of think that they can still get away with what you'll probably do as an ordinary person out there. But this is a different ballgame altogether. I mean, we've witnessed it in the last how many years now. For us, that's been the big game changer. Uh, where we've just instilled a very strong discipline culture and, and we drive the fitness standards. Fitness is king. You know, I've really pushed that with all our coaches in Fiji because for Fijian players, you know, they come in with, with this natural instinct and talent, but they need the conditioning element. And when Fijian players are fit and, 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 and resilient and, and robust, I mean, you only have to see the Karevis of the world, you know, Vakatawa, you see... Uh, Randrandra and you see um, Koroimbete, Riz. These are Fijian players who are in those environments where their nutrition, their conditioning, their welfare is looked after. It's come now to our shores within a 15th context. So, you know, we'd like to think, obviously, you know, it's a new season for the super team, Ondrua. There's a lot of learning to be done, uh, you know, gauging the environment, understanding it. But I think something that, you know, Ben told me once going back a few years ago, he said, we're quick learners. What probably takes him, you know, two or three weeks to teach other players, he, he found it, that our Fiji boys really engaged and learned it quite quickly. So I'd, I'd say that's a strength in itself, we're quick learners. Uh, but we need the environment to support that learning retention. That, that's the big one. And speaking of environments, obviously this long-awaited Super Rugby debut for the Indrua, it's been a slow process uh, for the Pacific. Um, what do you make of this opportunity finally being at the doorstep? But we've got thousands and thousands of players running all over the fields in Fiji looking for an opportunity. So you won't have, you won't be short of motivation, really. And, and now that the pathway is clear with the current rural program that we've got stacks of players coming through from Skipper, the motivation will only rise. And, you know, there's a, there's a big wave that we're riding now. You know, hopefully what we're trying to push through now is coaching 
and training education within our development ranks from schoolboy, uh, you know, schools, clubs, and just trying to increase learning knowledge and capacity within our, our ranks out there in the communities. I think that's that's quite big. And also the fact now that, I mean, super rugby in Fiji is massive. You only have to see the crowds that rocked up for the Crusaders Chiefs, uh, you know, those teams that came here. That's how much super means to Fiji, you know, and people are crazy. They have their own teams and backing and following. Now that they have their own brewer team, that's going to be really interesting now because you've got a team that rubs shoulders with the best of the Wallabies and the All Blacks week in, week out over a six-month period. I mean, there's nothing better than that, isn't it, in 15s rugby? So I think it only all go well for flying Fijians and, uh, and Rugby World Cup where all rugby programs are measured. And you talked about some of those elite Fijians playing over, you know, offshore, the likes of, you know, Vadim Vakatawa, likes of Marika Koroambete, etc. Um, I, I guess going forward with the Indrua established, guys like that probably won't have to go offshore. That's, you know, one of the key reasons for this team that those guys have an, an ability. Not all of them will stay, but most of them probably will, and they'll stay in that Fijian system. Um, and then, you know, the potential, as we've seen with the Sevens, once they got fully contracted, is you know, pretty exciting. Yeah, absolutely. Well, yeah, no, totally true. You nailed it there. Because at the moment, you know, obviously the interest for players going overseas is, is, um, is for an opportunity for livelihood. So once they want to go experience their talent, money is really the big spinner at this point. That's the biggest motivator because you can come and build your home and things like that. But now, because that's been offered on island with the Drua program, their focus now can be like, like I want to become a better rugby player. I want to I want to hack it with the best from New Zealand, Australia. I want to improve my rugby and learning and all those kind of things. Money later. Because they know that once they graduate from Super, they can obviously go on to the test arena and that markets their ability once more. And, you know, when you're ready, then you can go for the big bucks up, up north. And that's obviously kind of the model that, you know, I think it's from my own perspective, how New Zealand, Australia have run for the last quarter of a century. We'd like to think that we can do that, but that's only my comment. Then again, you know, if, if Northern clubs are dangling uh, X amount to the player, he's probably going to be looking super or that. From a learning environment, a learning perspective and a development from a purely rugby perspective, I go super. But if I'm looking purely for that monetary thing, then I'm going up north. But then again, you know, Vinny, once this, once this drawer starts to settle and establish itself in in uh, in super rugby because the players are going to be so fit in a, in a much higher um competition and a competition that will harness our playing style the fiji way then players up north are going to have difficulty coming back into the test team because the drew pretty much will be like sun wolves and the jaguars it's going to be the flying fiji itself so uh, i mean you can go up north that's fine you don't know what stops you but it's going to be hard getting back into the test team that's what you want right you want competition Fiji Sevens on steroids. Absolutely. Yeah, that's the right uh, analogy for it. <laughs> the Andrua are due to march into quarantine mid-October. Hopefully most of your players, I guess not all of them, maybe immediately, but to begin pre-season in November in Australia. So that two or three-month period before kickoff in February, what are you focused on in terms of getting this team ready come round one? Well, obviously, we we just you know trying to trying to create foundations for the team from the first of November. There's about right 15 weeks before kickoff, and in that time, obviously, important important pillars for the team in terms of culture, 
in terms of you know the, the playing group, the coaching staff getting to gel. It's a new environment where everyone's coming in, but non-negotiables like you know the relationships within the group and the identity and the purpose and things like that has to be right and the culture and uh, physical conditionings. We have to have the big rocks in place and obviously the rugby components. Um, and, 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 you know, that's what coaches are going to be putting their heads together to plan out. Uh, for me, obviously, I've started to talk, to talk with, uh, with the players who have signed on and uh, they know everyone is starting from zero and we will have to be in the best physical conditioning, you know, come, come super rugby time. Uh, because this 15-week this block is going to be the foundation we need for the 15 or 16-week competition period. And that's important that we, we, we tick, you know, the non-negotiables and things we can control, like preparing physically really well and mentally as well. It's going to be challenging because the players are going to be away and staff as well, especially local staff from family for that time, not coming back home to Fiji uh, because of, you know, the current uh, situation. So that's in itself uh, a mental challenge, you know, that's something we have to manage, something we have to see how we're going to... Um, Go through it. It's not easy, obviously. I've had a taste of that with the Olympics and the players who have come through that program. So being away from family for an extended amount of time with the, the demand and the, the, the pressure of training. And obviously now you're going into a totally new environment of competition. So all these pieces, you know, moving together. How, how different is it for you preparing a team in sevens versus the 15 side game? I guess the principles will be the same the dynamics will be different in terms of the number of players. The dynamics of this one will be different in that you've got players coming in from New Zealand and Australia and Fiji, a few coming back from the north. Uh, you know, who have been away from Fiji for a number of years, there's probably a few who have, you know, their Fijian heritage, but probably not as much experience within the Fijian context. So what we're trying to do here is get everyone together into the same cultural mindset space. And then obviously the rugby and the performance will be built on top of that. Uh, but that's important that we connect as people first, build those connections, those relationships, and, uh, and, and, and head off on a common footing. Because there's no, there's no chance of success if we don't connect first, you know, on that human level and then, and then move forward. Um, yeah, the training obviously will be different, you know, with sevens and fifteens. But I think the science behind it is all the same. You just have to apply it based on individual and, and what you're trying to achieve. It's exciting. It's a new field, but, uh, you know... We'll see how we go. Is it an easy transition for people that have been so conditioned in sevens? You know, currently it's Napoleone and uh, Ratumeli that have been announced as, you know, two of the gold medalists that are obviously going to be a part of the Endura team. We've seen numerous seven stars over the years convert to 15s, Joshua Tuisova, et cetera, et cetera. Is that a reasonably easy transition? But I think it is. I think the history has proven. A lot of our successful uh, sevens players who went on to 15s they became winners, you know. They 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 were they were uh, a real X factor people in the 15s program. Obviously, we'll have to beef up a few of them, make them stronger. Uh, in terms of fitness, there's no darker space in the world in the world of rugby fitness than sevens, because training in sevens is difficult, you know. And um, these boys have come through that, so I don't I don't think they'll have a problem with the conditioning aspect. It's the contact collision that they need to prepare for and the detail. Because there's much more detail and, and technicalities with the 15th game, obviously, with set piece, all those kind of things. And with naps, decision making, uh, I think those will be the big ones. In terms of the physical side of preparations, I don't think they'll have any, any problem with that, uh, as has been proven through history. Do you ever sit back and think, 
how on earth did that happen the last five, six, or I guess it was more seven, eight years, that journey to go from a sport that wasn't even an Olympic sport and, and suddenly, you know, you can look in your drawer or whatnot or look at photographs or video and feed you two-time Olympic gold medalists and that you were a part of that. Yeah. For me, I just see it as I, I'm doing my job, you know. Uh, that's, that's part of what I do all the time. But uh, you're right. You know, when we sit back and we reflect, Interesting you called this morning as well, because what I've, I've been doing, I'm writing this research about performance for the sevens. And uh, because we have New Zealand in such high regard, they've been the benchmark team for many years. And within the World Series from 1999, they've won it whew, how many times? Um, you know, that's 21 years. We've won it only four times, South Africa twice, Samoa once. So the rest of that is New Zealand. So for us, the measuring stick is New Zealand. And so I, I've, I've kind of looked at how just the number of wins that we've had over them. In the first 14 years, it was like 32 to 40 on the World Series. And in the last uh, in the last seven years, it's been 22 to 11. So that's how much we've progressed with our program here in Fiji. And a lot of that is, is down to the hard work and you know what I what I spoke about earlier. Uh, the coaches and SNC really working together to make these players physically robust and resilient. And that impacts them as you know mentally. Because it influences our rugby as well. Uh, that's that's a big non-negotiable. I look back at the 2015 Rugby World Cup flying Fijians, 2019. I've said this many times. Those boys were fit. We would have knocked out those tier ones in the in the pool. You know, I'm just saying it now in hindsight. But yeah. So the last 15 minutes, that's where we are dropping off. You know, so we need players to last the distance and last the distance to finish strong, finish fast. So that's something we've really. We, we nailed that in 2007. That's probably why we reached the, the World Cup quarterfinals in Marseille. Uh, but with the sevens, because I've been heavily involved in the last eight years, that's been a mantra of ours, to start fast and finish strong, both sides of the half. Um, do you think that mentality and success can help the 15-a-side team, be it the Flying Fijians, be it the Indrua, that these players have been used to winning and had the success at that elite level, um, you know, that they can sort of take that through to, you know, other teams and programs? 100%, Vinny. Winning is culture. Winning is habit, you know, so is losing. Um, every day you have to win. You have to win the small battles. And we, we build a strong culture of that winning mindset in our environment with the sevens. And because seven is such a good platform for them to learn how to tour, how to make mistakes, what conditioning, what training is, uh, how to stand in the podium and, you know, how to, you know, how to hit it out with the best in the world and come out on top and learning how to win and learning how to lose. That's, that's part of the, the, the development a Fiji player has to go through. Mind you, most of these boys come through from backgrounds where, you know, they probably didn't reach the high echelons of secondary school education. Some of them finish in primary school, year six. So, you know, they come from families where, you know, it's, it's very unstructured. Um, you know, obviously you have socioeconomic uh, problems to deal with. So you get all these things happening and you get players from all those kind of backgrounds coming to your environment. You understand the performance landscape. They don't. So... How are you going to create the environment that fosters that, that harnesses the talent that they have? Because all the talent that they have is all based at instinctive level. The other part of it, they don't have it. So we have to build them up. So because it's so strong in the fifth, in the sevens culture, that's something hopefully we can have in the 15s now as well. And break the psychology that, you know, Fiji are not a dominant force in 15s because we are. I, I totally believe that, hand on heart. We've just never been given the opportunity. Now that it's come, you know, it's a, it's a good time to test ourselves and see where we really stand. So what is success going to look like for the Fijian and Drua in 2022, do you think? Now, if they're away from home, 
a new team together, be it from your position in terms of athletic and you know conditioning, um, and, and obviously on-field performance. So what do you think success looks like next year for the team? I think success for next year will be built around what we do in-house when we first come in. So that's going to be a lot of learning that'll happen, you know, how we can change nutrition habits, how we can teach them knowledge on self-care, professionalism, in terms of conditioning yourself. Uh, for us, you know, getting them fitter, losing the excess body fat millimeters, helping them in the gym. Uh, you know, some of them will present with, with certain injuries and pathologies that they've uh, accumulated over the years for us to correct that. Uh, you know, all the training that we will do, we, everything will be measured. Um, so all that little success on things we can control within our environment of improving their athletic ability with strength, power, speed, you know, movement, all those kind of things that's functional to the rugby game and how we want to play the Drua game. All of that will be on a daily basis, you know, uh, in, hopefully we can work on and improve and, and success will be measured little by little with those kind of things, how we connect with their families and keeping players happy in a, in a positive mental space, uh, obviously with the challenges that we have, um, you know, all those things. If we can con control that in-house, then when game time comes, you know, as the boys doing the homework together with the coaches, doing the extra skill work and, and harnessing that side of their rugby and the mental side as well. Uh, when I say mental, it's it's part of it. A big part of it is the spiritual and the faith side of the Fijian player. I tell you, once we, we, and we have 15 weeks to do that, God willing, come Feb next year, be interesting where we will be, you know, to fair, come up against the very best in New Zealand and Australia. And, and success will be the little things. It won't be the scoreboard. We're not looking at scoreboard. I think success will be the learnings that we take, but also the changes that we can make to improve. You mentioned the importance of faith and, and, and religion there for the team. And I've always sort of wondered this. Um, is it possible to be a part of this team and, and not be a man of faith? Do you convert them? Um, because as we say, like, even if you're not from the same background, what is it like for someone to come in from the outside and, and be a part of that, that culture? Our faith is strongly intertwined within our culture and within the rugby performance as well. Uh, and that has been realized by a lot of expert coaches who come in and we respect them, you know, they, they, they obviously have their own thinking and it's not forced upon anyone really, but they have found that this is the one thing that grounds them, that grounds our players. And they have found it to be the common denominator that, you know, you, you go into any team environment in any part of the world. And there's something that coaches will always look for. And that's what is the single common denominator and the glue that can get all these people together because we're all different. For us in our Fijian culture, and I, I guess for our Tokowa from Tonga and our Usos from Samoa, it's this faith. It's something that's been passed down by our forefathers and it's something that has made us different. But there is a lot of performance benefits and psychology behind it. It's probably, I'd say, and I've said this to Gareth and, and uh and, uh, you know, a, a reputable sports psychologist who's, who's worked with us. It's probably the most untapped performance determinant for us in Fiji that we've started to unearth in the last seven to eight years. Because what we've done is we've linked the faith together with our core values and principles with normal daily performance behaviors around nutrition, skill, conditioning, mindset, and just general behavior you know, and, and, and making them better people. Really, those are those concepts are universal. But I guess the thing that we have disconnected, we have been disconnected within the past 
was how it relates to the Bible, which the boys read every, every day anyway. We haven't, it's always been like kind of abstract. But what we've unearthed, and that for me is, is the goal really, that we've unearthed in the last eight years, the connection between that faith and actual performance. I mean, no one's perfect. I think we, we all still do make mistakes, but it's now become more clearer that there's a very strong connection. You talked about discipline and nutrition and whatnot. Um, it's going to be tough being away from home for seven, eight months for a lot of these guys. Uh, are they going to be allowed the odd treat? You know, what's an acceptable treat in a high-performance sport environment? Um, is, is McDonald's off off the cards or what? How, how do you sort of balance that uh, hard work and reward versus, you know, a little bit of fun and, you know, um, indulgence sometimes? We, we do entertain that, Vinny. I think it's important on the human side that, you know, we... We do give the boys space. Uh, there, there are times where, you know, we have our cheat meals, we have our cultural nights, our island nights, things like that, where they can cook up a hangi, and, you know, have, have their barbecue. But, you know, obviously they know the boundaries of that. There's time and space for, you know, everything. So we certainly do entertain them. I mean, food is meant to be enjoyed. But, but you know, bad food, that's obviously something that's a no-no, but you're going to have McDonald's, you know, in, in four weeks. That's okay. If you've done the work for me, Set, you can have a treat, uh, but I'll have to put it out again after. <laughs>